De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell, and today we're going to discuss the impracticality of data science. Joining us is Katie Kime, who is the CEO of LQ Digital, which is a digital performance agency focused on acquiring profitable customers through paid media, affiliate marketing, SEO, and qualifying those customers via their contact center, serving the largest enterprises such as USAA, Morningstar, VMware, McAfee, and PenFed. So far this week, Katie and I talked about the impracticality of data science and breaking down digital silos. And today, we're going to wrap up our conversation by discussing the unit economics for digital marketing. Okay, here's my conversation with Katie Kime, the CEO at LQ Digital. Katie, welcome back to the podcast. You're about to complete the podcast equivalent of an Ironman. Congratulations. You can see the finish line. We're out of medals, but I will give you a virtual high five. Right on. I thought you were going to say trifecta. I didn't know if you were going to take me down a gambling rant hole there, but all right. No, 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 no gambling. We don't gamble here on the show, but thank you. So unit economics, you know, I've had a fair number of conversations with podcast guests where I've completely skipped over the de definition of unit economics. And Katie and I, yesterday, we talked a little bit about LTV to CAC ratios. Let me help you out here. Here's my take. Unit economics describes a specific business model's revenues and the cost in relation to an individual unit. And no, I did not copy and paste that statement from a Google search results link. I did not, I promise. But the core here is this, your CAC to LTV ratio. So let's help our audience understand how to apply that concept to digital. I imagine that CAC is fairly easy to measure for digital, but I think the nuance is probably in that LTV measurement ratio for digital. Is that right, Katie? Is that where the nuance is? Absolutely. We've gotten very good at CAC because as the marketing department, everyone wants to know why we're spending so much money. So we know how to explain CAC. I think what becomes more complicated is LTV does have a construct that's, it's not disproven, there's data to prove it, but there is a set of assumptions that goes into an LTV model that moves. And typically what it is, is how long is a client with us? How much will they spend over the lifetime of that relationship and the profitability that we derive from it? And so even my, the most sophisticated clients that we work with, They've been moving those models over time. And, and I would say the most sophisticated and not just clients, companies think about how to invest at the front end in terms of that complete return of the customer over the long run. I imagine a lot of the conversations we've had so far are related here in the sense that that idea and understanding of the ideal customer profile is the beginning place to a great LTV. 
For sure. And and I would just say it's usually cohort mapping of like, let's look at the customers that came in in 2018. How many of them did we keep? How many of them that they grew? What did the, you know, you have to take some historical data to go back and say, listen, we keep on average 90% of those customers. And of those customers, here's what they're going to spend with us. Those are the drivers and, and typically how many years. And so, you know, if you're a sticky software product, that might be a five-year LTV. I've got subscription services type clients and businesses that basically say, we're not going to do a full LTV, but we want to make sure they get to the six-month mark. And we're looking at that because we know once they get there, they're going to stick. So we're going to optimize kind of that interim LTV around the acquisition cycle. But it requires kind of a set of hypothesis and framework around, you know, how are we going to look at the data for LTV? Okay, that's a good starting point. And one thing I want to do, and be remiss if I didn't unpack some acronyms that were slinging around like bad hash in an army base, right? So one is CAC, which is not the sound your cat makes, although maybe that's what your cat sounds like when they spit up a hairball, but CAC applies to customer acquisition costs, first thing. The second thing we're throwing around is LTV. And so that's really, I think, the extended version of this CLTV, which is customer lifetime value. And Katie, you mentioned something out of the gate that I think is really interesting in that if you're looking at measuring customer lifetime value or LTV well, think in terms of cohorts. But I have to say, I don't think that always works, right? So easy for B2B SaaS folks like me. But there are other business models where that cohort model falls apart pretty quickly. I'm thinking about, say, e-commerce or you know more of the B2C side of the house. How do you help people measure LTV when you don't have those cohorts? You're exactly right. It, it, it doesn't play in that. I mean, I think the commerce companies try to get at LTV by repeat purchase, right? At some point, it's what customers are coming back. I mean, I'm sure Amazon has an LTV model that it's transactional, but you're going to get a repeat purchase. And so I still think some of the cohort or historical analysis applies. It, to, to be really frank, LQ works predominantly with customers that have pretty robust LTVs, highly considered products, in for the longer haul, not necessarily what I would call transactional commerce models. Because in the transactional commerce models, a ROAS, a return on ad spend model, is perfectly fine. I pay 50 cents, I'm going to make two bucks 50 on the transaction. That is a return that we all can understand. I think what's unfortunate is in high LTV products, high value products, we tend to have a ROAS mentality, which is I must get this customer for so cheap so I can show a moment the transaction happens, a return on ad spend. I think you're underspending, especially if you're in a competitive market where taking on share or acquiring customers to kind of win out, you're, you're kind of underspending because what you're saying is you only think of that customer as being worth you to something to you in year one. If they're going to stay five years, you absolutely want to go spend the money to get that customer and get that five years of revenue as opposed to optimizing for a year one transaction. I have to say that is one of the more surprising things I've heard on the podcast in a really long time. And the thing I'm reacting to is people applying a ROAS model to a large transaction revenue model, right? Especially one where the LTV is three or four or five years. How do companies lose their way? Like, how do they lose sight of investment and returns? We're not even talking about CAC LTV, just common sense investment returns. What happens? 
Well, I mean, I once had someone say in a provocative way, why isn't marketing capitalized? It's not an expense. It's an investment in future growth. And the board actually understands this. It will be the board more than the management team that might say to me or in a conversation like this saying, how much would it cost for us to grow faster? And the limit, the headroom, the ceiling is around expense management, which is a ROAS kind of mentality. Well, I got to spend this much. I think if you could walk into the board and this is, you know, we could test this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Katie, Katie is on my board of directors, folks. That's why she's giggling. She is a board member. I can't say anything stupid here, folks. It's like, hey, an average customer stays five years and they spend $30,000 and they retain it at a high rate. And like, let's be really clear. A customer around here is worth $150,000. And you guys are worried that I spent $2,200 on a, a deal that I just landed this year? Like, bad math. And I, I do think the board actually, that's what I mean by unit economics. That is not marketing efficiency ratio. That's not keeping within budget. That's a nearer term mentality. A longer term mentality is I will spend in economics up to the point that my marginal cost is less than my marginal revenue or marginal LTV, and I will take growth all day. And I think it's kind of a provocative thought that we're in telling clients not to spend more because you want to be sloppy, but your model yields goodness economic profitable goodness by going after that at a more aggressive pace. It's a really good point. And I have to say, I feel like the conversation around digital unit economics is a little bit easier. And I also feel like so much of what we do in marketing, even in like the most traditional marketing spheres, digital is a part of the conversation. But I do think it's really, really, really important for folks to understand what those unit economics are for digital marketing. So start us out. What's a good example? What's a really good example? Well, I would just say in most of the transactions that we're in, CAC is a pretty simple, it's usually they don't necessarily put in the agency fees or what happens down funnel. I mean, I would say CAC gets presented as what is the actual spend in the digital channel. So it's probably not complete. I mean, in a B2B business, you would really want to put in the marketing and the sales if you were doing a reasonable CAC. But in the business that we work with, let's say they convert online, we're looking at the amount of spend in the channel and the clients it yields. And that is literally typically the acquisition cost. Some of them gross it up or put in other overhead and that, but it's pretty pure to just say, this is what I spent in channel. And this is what I got from customers. But there's a bit of a slippery slope on the cost side. I think we were a little bit dismissive of CAC before and talking about the complexity being an LTV, right? And the LTV complexity really is in the eye of the beholder. Like I look at e-commerce and I'm like, that's complex. That's I don't understand how to measure it. You made a great point. It's you know, it's about repeat business. That's your LTV, right? You're creating an experience and a relationship where people want to come back. That's your LTV. But on the CAC side, you know, I have to say, and I, I've done this myself, I've been a CMO for a long time, guys, and I always find myself in this place. I'm like, what are my sunk costs? Should I add my sunk cost in? You just talked about the fact that most folks think about discretionary costs. I'm in here going sales plus marketing plus people plus discretionary. So is there a Bible on this? Is there a way to really say that this is your true CAC measure that you would recommend back to people listening today? Well, I mean, you know this from some of our previous conversations. It's like, what is most actionable? And the reason that we would probably look at a pure CAC in channel without overhead and without 
people and some of those things is because we have an apples to apples really super quickly, right? It looks like 68 bucks in search and it looks like, you know, $1,400 in Facebook. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, you know the discrepancy. And so, you know, I guess what I'm thinking about when I talk about this is you have to think about what your audience is. Is your audience the board and you're trying to explain why we should be putting more investment in? Then, yeah, I think you do have to be more thoughtful about what gets loaded into that. You can't have 85 people in your department yielding just the CAC and the digital channel. But I think for the purposes of moving money, which we've talked about in previous sessions, it's like a clean, as long as it's apples to apples, you're looking for relativity in your investments. And again, that's probably kind of that bent I have around being pragmatic and simplifying to make decisions, but like, just make sure it's apples to apples. And we look directly at the media cost. Okay. So we're also creating this very simplistic rubric for folks on the phone today. And quite often things aren't that simple, right? So I'll give an example, Katie, and this is something I run into all the time, which is how do you measure the health of a channel? In this case, I'm going to say the channel is for Salesforce and the App Exchange channel. And the reason I bring that up is because it's a great example of a place where you have this combination of different possibilities for why you're getting results in the channel. In the App Exchange, it's a combination of paid and organic, right? How do you help folks kind of pull that apart? Because I have to say quite often, I see that correlation all the time. If I have really strong organic results, I quite often have strong paid results as well. It's a whole conversation about the SERPs and where you land on the page. But how do you help folks kind of pull that apart and make sense of it? Well, I mean, I think you're getting to the crux of attribution. I mean, if there's a buzzword that has, I mean, you know, it's not even just a buzzword. It's a complexity that attribution has now held all our hopes and dreams, which is what's the relationship? Can a, can a channel have something contribute to its success? And there's clearly more complexity in that. I mean, how often do we see Facebook not perform at the bottom of the funnel, but like you want to turn it off? I can tell you it's having lift or holdouts in given markets. There's a way to kind of, I would say, momentarily test what those channels are giving you. So I, I don't mean to oversimplify. Attribution and the dependency and interdependency is, is important. I just think sometimes it goes back to the 80-20 rule. If one of them is 14 times more expensive and less effective than the other. Like, can we start moving in that direction as opposed to, I need to understand the pristine interdependency. That makes a ton of sense. And I think it's a slippery slope on the attribution front, but you really can't talk about unit economics without thinking about attribution, right? It's hard, it's hard to pull them apart. It's like PB and J. It's just a peanut butter sandwich without the J, right? So are there models that you look to where you feel like the attribution is more likely to be a successful model? Meaning, are you an MMM person? Are you an MTA? Sorry, guys. Acronym city. Sorry. So is it a multi-touch model? Is it a last touch model? Or is it just not that simple as well when we're in that slippery slope place? I've seen all kinds of models work for different companies. I think the thing that let me tell you what I don't like and doesn't work is when I see a bunch of tactics channel manager around a table and it's kind of like you're worth 0.14 you're worth 0.12 you guys are worth 25 like there's this notion of like everything contributed and what i see teams doing is justifying why they're important why they played their part what I, the reason i don't love that that kind of approach to attribution is it doesn't tell me i mean i always kind of think about a cmo if someone walks in and says i'm giving you a half million more at the end of the quarter 
Does that mean I'm, I'm giving 0.12 to you? I'm giving 0.14 to you. I'm giving, like, there's a little bit of, it's kind of reinforces this. We will not make any bet because everything is important. And, you know, I will go back to my bottom of the funnel comment. If we could look at with clarity, how our success happened, I'll give you an example. I had a prospective client say that like the attribution model was a big part of the engagement. And we went in and we did a data analysis and I think it was 83% of their customers came in through a single touch channel, did not touch, like wasn't search and social. 83% came right through the search and right. And I was like, are you wanting to put attribution in to figure out the 17%? Because I would like to take your money and go like triple what's going on with the 83. And so again, it maybe goes back to what are the questions we're trying to ask and how is that going to make us behave differently? And if an attribution model can identify those patterns that would allow me to go, no, 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 it's always Facebook or 32% of the time it goes Facebook, it goes, you know, search and then it goes follow-up email you know whatever that is like i'll be it let's run that pattern let's run that play again okay i'm gonna give a warning folks i'm about ready to ask a super geeky math dude and girl question you ready katie let's go this is interesting from the standpoint of understanding just how long that customer relationship can really be and how if people get messed up and whether or not they're spending enough to get there is is sort of crazy so, Katie, what's the longest lifetime value you've seen? Like, give me a big, long lifetime value that would scare people. I'm not going to give you one that scares you because typically I will see it come in at four or five years. And that doesn't mean that the longest client relationship is four or five years. There is a point where clients will draw the line and say, we see clients go eight, nine, 10 years. It's very sticky. It's financial advisor software, whatever it is. But if we can optimize our model to five, that's gravy. Because when you think about attrition and, um, you know, losing some of the clients every year, it does become de minimis. It's a long tail in the long years. So while client relationships can go much longer than five, if they want a model that they know with certainty is going to be profitable, they can bring that LTV governor in and they're like, it's all gravy on the backside. And I still can optimize to a five-year LTV. Okay, that's super smart because I was really hoping to trip you up a bit, Katie, because I have to tell you, when we start getting past five years, you're talking about the time value of money, right? There's to talk about points of diminishing return, right? You can have a lifetime value that actually starts you thinking about inflation rates, right? And the value of your currency versus others. So that's a great trick. Think about five years in the longest, most extended lifetime values. Okay. Thank you, Katie, for being on the show. That wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. A big thank you to Katie Kime, CEO at LQ Digital for joining us. If you would like to contact Katie or learn more about her, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact her on Twitter, where her handle is at Katie Kime, that's K-A-T-Y-K-E-I-M, or visit her company website at lqdigital.com. Just one more link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on the show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, 
We're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed on the next business day. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.